0: Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz!
1: HarperCollins Book Buzz! Check it out! Do-do-do, do do Book Buzz! HarperCollins Book Buzz! Brought to you by Library Love
0: This is Lainey from the Library Love Fest marketing team, and we're here with this very special episode of Editors Unedited, because today we're live from the ALA show floor, and today we're joined by uh, Tracy Sherrod from Amistad, which is a, a portion of Harper One, and she's editorial director, and we're, she's gonna be here with her author, so I'm gonna pass it on to her.
1: Thank you, Lainey. I'm very pleased to be here with my author, Clyde Ford. Um, Clyde Ford has has written ten works of fiction and nonfiction. Um, he has received a number of awards, including the Zora Neale Hurston Richard Wright Award in fiction. He lives in be- Bellingham, Washington. And so, Clyde, you've written a lot of books, and this is your first memoir. Can you tell me about anything different that was a part of your process?
0: Well, first of all, Tracy, thank you so much for the opportunity to do this interview with you. And yes, this was my first memoir. And what was so interesting about writing a memoir is that it's an opportunity to go deep within yourself in terms of who you were growing up. And since it's about my father, who was the first black software engineer in America, also about your parents and how they raised you. So it was this wonderful opportunity to really go back into my family of origin and to learn some things not only about my family, but about myself.
1: Mm -hmm. But Clyde, the the title of your book is Think Black. Can you give us a, a brief summary of what it's about?
0: Sure. So Think Black, and really the title comes from IBM. Uh, Think is IBM's logo signature of the symbol that they had on almost every employee's desk. Think Black is the story of the first black software engineer, my father, John Stanley Ford, hired by IBM in 1946, who went to work for the company in 1947. It talks about his experiences of being a black man at a time when there were so few black men in high corporate positions and what it was like for him to work for a company that didn't always have such a great history in terms of how they treated. it. Blacks and other minorities.
1: Mm-hmm. And so you've said twice that your father was the first um, software engineer, the first black software mm-hmm. engineer. And so how does that inform your narrative? What What do you think he had to sacrifice for being the first, and and sacrifice as part of? recognizing that he had to take this job no matter what. Can you explain that concept? Yeah,
0: that's a really great question, Tracy. And, you know, one of the things my dad used to say is that for him to keep his job, he had to be twice as good as one of his white colleagues. Mm -hmm. And in order to be twice as good, it meant he had to work twice as hard. And to work twice as hard, something had to give. And often what had to give, I think, was the time he spent with us as a family and maybe even the time that he was engaged and spent with uh, my mother in terms of their marriage. So I think he, as did many blacks who were first in their field, gave up a lot in terms of family, gave up a lot in terms of what they might have wanted to accomplish other than just working in order to pave a way for other blacks to move forward in the field that they were in.
1: Because in 1947-ish, around that time, there were a lot of firsts.
0: Absolutely. And so often I would hear or be introduced to such and such, who was the first black lawyer at this firm, such and such, who was the first black uh, fire chief in this part of the city, such and such, who was the first black principal or the first black um, attorney or doctor. So, yes, that was a time right after the war when... African Americans were breaking barriers, and you were really starting to see the first pop up and pave the way for many who came after them.
1: Because mm-hmm, we also see Jackie Robinson around the same time as well. And in many and- ways,
0: I thought this was going to be that kind of narrative. Uh, simply a narrative, which was a Jackie Robinson, Branch tricky story, with my father is Jackie and Thomas J. Watson, the president and founder of IBM is Branch Ricky. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be just a little bit more than uh, a simple hidden figures at the beginning of the computer age story. And that's why I think what was so interesting for me to discover more about my father and really to discover a lot more about IBM.
1: Mm-hmm. And so specifically, what did your father endure at IBM? in his early days?
0: Well, I think one of the stories I tell in the book is probably most revealing, and that is that he endured uh, in working with his colleagues attempts to derail his career. Mm-hmm. And so here's a story I heard so many times from him and I tell in the book. One of the first assignments he got from his colleagues and his department was to meet, have a business meeting with someone who turned out to be a rendezvous with a prostitute. The idea there was to catch him in a compromising position, to photograph him, and in that way to force him out of the company. Mm -hmm. Uh, What these folks didn't realize is my dad, while he might have worn a suit and tie for IBM, he also had some street smarts. And he happened to know a little bit about these women and what he knew allowed him to escape without getting caught.
1: Mm-hmm. And so tell me the story about how he worked around um, the different things that happened at work, particularly how he used the, the community to help him sure. uh, achieve his professional
0: goals. Sure. So, you know, we grew up in the Williamsbridge neighborhood of the Bronx, and that was a really tight knit community of African Americans who were trying to move ahead economically, who were trying to move ahead in terms of their careers. Community was organized in many ways around Trinity Baptist Church. Trinity Baptist Church was catering to this group of upwardly mobile, upwardly striving, sometimes I even like to call them perspiring blacks because they were working (laughs) so hard. And when my dad got into a hot, some hot water situations, he would often rely on the church, and in particular the church ladies to help him along. And one of the stories I do talk about in the book is how he used the church ladies and the skills they had from working in the war as switchboard operators to help him through a particularly difficult time in one of the classes that he had at IBM. Mm -hmm,
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. I thought that was a really fascinating story. It's one
1: of my my favorites in the book. Um, And so, um, given... You know what your father went through and, um, at IBM and the impact that it had on your family. So how do you feel
0: about integration? Wow, that's a really interesting question. And I think, you know, I have a mixed feeling about it in many ways based on my f- experience growing up. Because what we were always told as the first family, and my, by mean told by my parents, was that we, my sister and I as children, were representatives of our race. So if we went to the IBM Country Club and we were the only black family there, we had to dress impeccably, we had to act impeccably, we had to do everything right as far as my parents were concerned because we represented our work, race. Mm-hmm. That's a really heavy burden for a child to carry. And I think in many ways as a young man growing up, I rebelled against the notion of having to represent my race for white folks. Mm -hmm. And so I really became somewhat of a black radical in the 60s in reaction to this idea that my father had about how important it was for us to be representatives of our race in terms of integration. I think later in life, I got to a, a, a much more healthy place of recognizing that you need to engage people for whom they are and not just the color of their skins. But early in life, I tell you, it was pretty intense to be the only black family at, say, an IBM Christmas party and have everybody staring at you to see how you were going to act. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, but later you went to work for IBM as well.
0: I did. And I always swore that I wouldn't be like my father, and yet when I graduated from college, there was a job waiting for me at IBM. I will say, though, uh, Tracy, you know, I opened the book with my first day at IBM, and I swore that IBM was going to know that I was different. And so Mm -hmm. I showed up at work in a blue, red striped zoot suit with a bright red turtleneck, a huge afro, and an attitude that said, I may be my father's son, but I'm not like my father. And I'm sure that gave a lot of people some heartburn, particularly my manager at IBM. For me, it was simply a statement that I was coming to learn more about computers, but I wasn't coming to devote my life to IBM as I had seen my dad do. hmm Okay, so you had, did you have a relatively different experience than he had? or In some ways, I had a different experience, but in many ways, I had a very similar experience in that I encountered some of the same racism that he encountered working for the company. Uh, it, different in the sense that nobody tried to hook me up with a prostitute in ter- that I know of uh-huh. in terms of my experience, although I did have some run-ins with some young women who I wasn't quite sure why they were trying to engage me and if they may have been set up um, to try to make me look bad, I will say that I encountered some obstacles to my career because I was black, Uh and I ended up having to actually have a very intense encounter with one of my managers that ended up with me leaving IBM in order to take a year off, but coming back to IBM and finally getting a job that I really appreciated. Mm
1: -hmm. And, you know, Clyde, when this book first came in, when your proposal came in for Think Black, um, I, I, was, I was moved by it right away, and I felt like it was a story that I, I felt must have existed out there, but that I'd never found in the, in the pages of a book. And so what made you decide to write this book, and, and why now, and what impact do you think it will have?
0: Yeah, again, thank you. That's a really great question. A couple of things made me think about this book. First of all, this August is my fa- would be my father's 100th birthday. And while he's no longer alive, the book, in a sense, is an homage to how I came to respect him. That was one reason. I think another reason I really wanted to write the book is it had been kicking around in my mind for a number of years based on a challenge given to me by someone whom I saw for therapy and who said to me, you need to find out more about your father. And based on Joan's challenge, I went up to interview my father for three years towards the end of his life. We took long walks along the Hudson River, and he told me as much as he felt comfortable, telling me about his life. So that was one of the reasons. I think the other reason the book is really important to me is that I've been in technology now for a number of years and the same issues my dad faced in 1946 are still being faced by African Americans and people of color in high technology to this day. We need to know the history We need to know how people attempted to work around the obstacles that they encountered in order so we can better understand how to make a difference and how to diversify high technology today.
1: Mm -hmm. And another aspect in the book, you talk about um, ways in which technology is harmful to certain
0: communities. Technology particularly today is built on algorithms that are written by people who have inbred and inborn biases that they're often not used to. So for example, when you have a woman, a black woman professor um, at the University of California who wants to bring her young daughter and cousin in to find some things about black women, Mm -hmm. types in the phrase, young black women into a search engine, and what she gets is pornographic references to black women, that's not right. When you have someone who scans a picture and does a Google search based on a picture of a black woman, in this case, Michelle Obama, but turns up images of a gorilla, that's not right. It's not acceptable. When you have someone who enters the N-word and following that Uh, the inward house and they turn up the White House during the time that Obama was there, that's also not right. And those things come because Technology companies and the people who work for them don't realize the extent to which what they do has inbuilt bias that they need to account for, that they need to be aware of. And those of us who are trying to do things in terms of social justice need to understand how we have to hold technologies, companies accountable for social justice as well, too. Wow. Clyde, your book is incredibly powerful.
1: I can't wait till it comes out in September. And Think Black by Clyde Ford. I hope you'll get it.
0: Thank you, Tracy. Thank you.